0: Before we start today's show I want to give a shout out to our partners for this podcast Vitality. They are an essential part of me being able to facilitate these conversations. I've been an ambassador now with Vitality for several years and always the one thing that stands out most for me is just how much they care about people's health and are so keen to enhance their experience of life whatever way they can they understand as much as i do i think it's never about quick fixes or the one pill fixes everything it's about the small healthy proactive behaviors sustained through a lifetime that can lead to incredible differences not only does vitality protect members with award-winning cover but they also offer discounts on gym membership trainers activity trackers and healthy food too so you can take the small steps to make the meaningful changes head to vitality.co.uk for more information. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, welcome back to I Am, the podcast that explores the possibilities and potential that we can access as human beings. I'm your host, Johnny Wilkinson. This week's guest is Lynn McTaggart. She's an author, a journalist, and someone who's had a really great impact on me as well. So it was great to be able to converse with Lynn and dig a bit deeper into her wisdom and research. She's got an amazing passion for spiritual healing and her experiments on the subject and the subject of the power of intention, they're challenging the way that we look at human potential and how we've defined its boundaries. She has phenomenal stories to tell that hold the potency to break down barriers in our minds. I'm feeling so fortunate to be able to engage in these kinds of discussions. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I enjoy taking part in it. Just to let you know that I always release an episode early in the week a few days before the main guest interview becomes available and in this sort of 10 to 20 minute slot I attempt to set the scene for the upcoming conversation and share some of my own ideas and thoughts as well. I can get pretty intense about this sort of stuff so I'm going to warn you ahead of time I can go off on one but I'm also very keen to use this opportunity to incorporate some responses to any questions I receive as well I'm really enjoying hearing from anyone listening in so if something arises in you thoughts feelings or anything that you feel you want to know more about do not hesitate to email me on hello at iampodcast.co.uk or just leave a comment in the review section on apple podcasts today though it's all about the guest and a chance to hear their wisdom their learnings passions and stories and I do love this bit I love being part of it I hope you do too thanks so much for listening Lynn McTaggart, what a pleasure. I've got a real connection with you that you don't know about, and it's played a really important role. You've played a really important role in my life with a lot of what you've done, and I'm really interested to hear it in your own words, what it's meant to you. But first of all, thanks so much for joining us, and how are you?
1: I am just great, Johnny. Thanks for having me.
0: (laughs) Well, believe me, it's a pleasure. And So this podcast, the I Am podcast, it's Exploring Human Potential, and it's taking it wherever it needs to go. But so much of what I guess we're exploring and experiencing in the understandings is that it's so much bigger than it's It's really pushing the boundaries of what it means to be human, but also more importantly, where do we draw the line and who we are and what we are. So to give a very brief background, so I can lay the foundation before letting you go and do your thing. The reason I came across your work was I faced several crisis moments in my life, according to a rather rigid stance that had been I guess built in through some conditioning and some emotional reactions to things and it meant every now and again I came against things that seemed to be insurmountable problems and left me completely in that space of no real escape and it got darker and darker and darker and each time I tried to find my way out of those situations and as I got older and slightly more mature I was looking at deeper things but then I guess I broke a new boundary and finally started looking Inwards, And one of the first things I came across when I was really looking into things like Buddhism and quantum physics, I came across the field, which is obviously one of your earlier books. And wow, it just completely resonated at that time for what I was after a a bigger explanation that led me to the intention experiment. And I'm hoping we're going to get a chance to hear about those books and others as well. But I'm really interested to hear just a brief understanding of where would you position what it is that you do, your speciality and your passion, and how that relates to, I guess, how you might see potential?
1: Well, I segued into this whole field by accident. Way back in the 1990s, I was interested in why spiritual healing works, because I'm also co-editor and publisher of a magazine called What Doctors Don't Tell You. And way back then, I keep coming across really good studies of spiritual healing. And I kept thinking to myself, if we can have a thought and send it to someone else and make them better, that completely undermines everything about how the world works, at least our understanding of it. And so I wanted to find out how this could be. And I assumed there were going to be human energy fields that I was going to discover. So I went to a number of frontier scientists working in things like consciousness research at prestigious places like Princeton University, many of the other universities. And I was staggered when I discovered each of them had unearthed a very small piece of what compounded into a completely new science, a new view of the world. And so... Scientists can't really talk in English, in plain English. They talk in code. They talk in math. And so I soon realized that I was going to have to decode what they were talking about. But also, they don't like to move beyond their own little experimental patch. So their experimental discoveries were just, to their mind, tentative and small. And it was up to me to put them all together. So that book became the field. And so I got essentially hijacked into this whole area because every subsequent book has been born from curiosity, more curiosity about how this all works, the power of intention. That was extraordinary from the field, the idea that thoughts are things that affect other things. And so far, on and on, how do we live according to the new science with the bond? And the latest one is the power of eight, the power of small group intention. So my work is the bridge between science and spirit. And as I say, it's my own background as an investigative reporter. I started out life as one of those people with hidden tape recorders trying to bust you know, baby selling rings and the like, and put bad guys in jail. So, that kind of investigative streak has never left me, and that's what I try to bring to the table.
0: Wow, it's you. You've had a journey already. <laughs> fly me. we've just had a couple of minutes of chat, and I'm already uh, thinking you've lived. You've lived an amazing life. So, the I guess you looking into spiritual healing. Maybe that journey required you to go into. Understanding that deeper area of who we are and how we connect. But I'm really interested that so much of what comes across in so many of the discussions we have in this is that when the idea of who we are gets limited to the the kind of five senses, you know, what you can touch and see and smell and, and really what you can tangibly experience according to the physical world. And thoughts are a funny one because you have them, you kind of see them, but they don't really, you, you, you feel a reaction to them. But it's difficult to, to sort of bring those into that space as a physical thing. And already, you know, you've crossed that, that mark by talking about sort of sending them and how they can have an effect. What was the kind of the first thing in terms of the scientific stuff? What was it that blew your mind, if anything, in that first initial venture into sp- spiritual healing?
1: I tell you what really blew my mind, not only the idea that thoughts can be sent out that thoughts are trespassers, you know, and, and now there's I have so much evidence for that in my own experiments as well as all of the evidence that I've gathered that thoughts are things that affect other things. So we're leaky buckets. Our thoughts are leaking out us all the time and they're not just locked inside our heads. That's for sure. The thing that blew me away more than anything else, to be honest, Johnny, was studies demonstrating that time is not a forward-going arrow. It's not sequential as we think. And as you talked about it, we have hidden capacities that we've never explored, that our authority figures deny us. When we're children, we understand that we have the ability to send and receive thoughts, that we have the ability to pick up information beyond our senses or even affect objects with our minds, but that gets hammered out of us by those teachers, the parents, etc., so that we don't think this exists. There is enormous evidence for all of it, all kinds of extended human potential that we are not tapping into, and it's available to everyone. Certainly it's like certain people are gifted piano players and they're more gifted than others. Well, the same thing is with ESP, but we can all do it. And so, yes, all of that evidence that I gathered about our hidden human potential boggled my mind. But I think the thing that blew my mind the most was the idea that we can forecast, that we can pick up information from the future or the past, and also that the future affects the present. Give you an example. One of the most mind-boggling studies, I think, was the work of Princeton University with remote viewing. So what they would do is have a remote viewer, and this was an ordinary person. They didn't pick just trained remote viewers. And remote viewing, by the way, is the ability to see beyond your senses. Oftentimes when just given a set of map coordinates. The remote viewer will be able to draw and describe what's at that place. But with the Princeton studies, they would have a remote viewer in the lab and then a traveling partner. And the traveling partner would be given an envelope, which would have a destination anywhere from around the block to 2,000, 3,000 miles away. So most of their studies were done this way. Normally, It was the remote viewer would sit in the lab, the traveling partner would go to his destination, and the remote viewer sitting in the lab would have to draw and describe where his partner was just by picking it up without knowing what was in the envelope. So what they did with two-thirds of the studies is they would have the remote viewer draw and describe where his partner was going to go before (laughs) the partner picked the random envelope. And two-thirds of those were highly accurate, where they were drawing and describing exactly where their partner was before he even knew where he was going. So at one point, an Illinois train station. At another point, a gallery in Moscow. And another one, when the person was under a giant space telescope that made him look like it was like a half dome structure. And he looked like the remote viewer described him as if he were a matzo bowl, he would be in the middle of soup and, you know, a great big bowl of soup. So, and that's exactly what it looked like. So those kinds of things saying, wow, we can forecast. And I remember asking the then Dean of engineering, the late Robert John who ran this whole program, Bob, how can this be? How can all of this stuff work? And he said, simple, Lynn, just take time out of it and it all makes sense. And that just blew my mind. I started thinking, wow, all of this scientific evidence for us being so different, all part of this giant energy field, all connected, the whole, all of the implications of quantum physics, that made me think, this changes everything need to live in a very different way and so i'd say the whole thing of it blew my mind and essentially changed the messenger wow
0: just to think without for example like you said time which underwrites so much of our understanding the linear you know understanding of how things just are it just completely wrecks everything. And I, I recognize what we saw so, again, we, we experienced so many of these things and it's beautiful, the lens at which you're you're coming at it through, in that childlike state of openness where there's no belief or disbelief, there's just that openness. And I think one of the things we're finding so, I guess, challenging and so limiting is that in my perspective, we, we talk about human potential. And one of those big questions is, but so many people seem to already know what they, their potential is. I, th- I know what i'm capable of and, and then you think you're going to find something new outside of that preconceived limit but actually that sheer openness is immense and what could be more open than letting go of time when everything were built around you know those moments of connection when you find yourself really speaking to someone it has nothing to do with the the ideas of i'm an older person speaking to a younger person i'm a man speaking to a woman all those things just they're irrelevant it's that deeper connection and what within that sort of deeper connection when you looked at that field sense that we are one what was the the importance of that for you in this because for me at that point when I was meeting these crisis moments it was liberating because it removed that kind of me against and it brought in this sense of all moving as one and that there's this acceptance and this kind of inevitability and this kind of beauty around that flowing sense and it certainly removed a great deal but for, for you What's behind that field?
1: Well, I think for me, it changed the whole scientific story. I mean, all of us operate according to a 300-plus-year-old scientific story written by Isaac Newton, who described a very well-behaved universe of separate objects operating according to fixed laws in time and space. And then those ideas got augmented by the work of Charles Darwin, who was very influenced by theories of population explosion at the time he was living. And so he decided there isn't enough to go around, so life must proceed through struggle. And he never actually coined the term survival of the fittest, but His PR people did, essentially. (laughs) (laughs) And that idea swept the globe, and it became the justifying principle for so many movements, including industrialized capitalism, which was just happening at the time. So as you say, the whole I win, you lose mentality, you know, the whole idea of competitive individualism is the leitmotif of our lives, That's how we all live, us against them. And so for me, discovering that we are all part of this giant energy field, that we're all not batches of chemicals, signaling and electricity, as we're told, but something much more, we're vibrating packets of energy and our energy is trading energy with every other object and person in the world. All the time it's a little energy trade going on so fundamentally life is a relationship a trade of this energy fundamentally and all of us are part of this giant field now many people say to me oh I'd like to experience entering the field and I always say You don't have to worry about trying to enter it. You are the field. You're part of this field. We're all part of this field. But here's the two really important things that that really blew my mind about a field. Number one, subatomic particles. See, what happens with this zero-point field is all subatomic particles are trading energy all the time, as I said, like a little tiny subatomic game of tennis. And in that tennis trade of energy back and forth, a virtual particle gets created. So between two subatomic particles, that's not a lot of energy. But when you add up all the subatomic particles in all the universe doing this little game of tennis, you have this unfathomable amount of energy sitting out there in empty space. But here's the two interesting things about that field which gets created and it's called zero point because things are supposed to stop moving when they get to the low temperatures like absolute zero. But this field still keeps moving in even in those very low temperatures. So there is an energy field that underpins everything. And two things, as I said, number one, the idea that we're all, everything that is, is in this field, means that everything potentially is connected. But two, subatomic particles are actually also waves. And waves go on to infinity. They also hold an enormous amount of information. I mean, if you were to put the Library of Congress in America onto a wave, you could fit the whole darn thing. And that has every book that's ever been printed. You can fit the whole thing onto a sugar cube. That's how much information a wave can hold. So if waves go on to infinity and they hold all that information, essentially we have everything that ever was contained in these waves, like a mothership of information. So we should have access, given that we are all connected, to all this information. So talk about extended human potential the idea that we can access almost any information in the universe is all in itself mind-boggling.
0: Wow oh wow so how to respond to that I guess an idea of meaning for me the meaning that actually there's going to be some joy and that material kind of joy that's going to come at the end of all this winning and gathering and gaining and so it almost makes perfect sense but until for me one of those Insurmountables was getting to the point of actually having everything I wanted and thinking, oh, no, it's not there. I've now got a different meaning. And from that different meaning, you realise that actually different understanding of life becomes useful. And what you're talking about there in terms of that information, for me, is really exciting in terms of... I keep talking in some of these podcasts about feeling that, albeit a glimpse... That sense of oneness that comes in, whether you're following your passion or whether just it just hits you, and you do feel like you're communicating or being communicated to, or you're accessing something, which is not within your boundaries of what you think you are. It's it's from bigger, and and it feels like inspiration or intuition or higher intelligence or whatever it be. And we've sort of spoken to people who have given us some real insight into releasing that sense of who i am that allows you to access a much greater memory. Now i think that's really really powerful. One thing that really got me in that respect and talking about this energy exchange one of the experiments that i read about in the field and i think it was behind some of the idea of the intention experiments was just getting someone to sit in front of a machine that was basically representing or imitating a 50/50 percent you know, yeah whether it be a coin flip and just Pass that information about, I want this result. This is the result I wish for. And that was simple enough and tangible enough for me to start, I guess, relating to the life I was winning by going out there and hoping to win games and hoping to win moments and thinking that it was all down to what you did. It was not to do with what you wish for. It was just down who's stronger, who does this. But actually, this brought back a real interest in kind of, gee, so much of my power has nothing to do with my physicality. It's actually in me. I'd love you just to give a bit of info about some of those experiments, if you can.
1: Absolutely. And also, I should say about sport, you know, sport is one of those areas where I think it's okay to be competitive because, you know, people enjoy it for that. I think when it gets to be hysterical, then, you know, then, of course, it's gone too far. But one thing that's really interesting about sport and mental, the effect of, of the mind is mental rehearsal, because so many elite athletes go through mental rehearsal in their heads. So they imagine each play, for instance, or each move or whatever it is, bit by bit in their heads, and they practice in their heads from their own perspective as though they were doing it. And they've found, you know, Tracy Culkin, one of the greatest Olympic swimmers that ever lived, practiced in her head diving into the water two hundredths of a second before her opponents. And that practice helped her win the Olympics, an Olympic relay race. And same thing with Rocky Blair, famous football player in American football in the States, helped the Pittsburgh Steelers win the Super Bowl one year by practicing every play in his head ahead of time. And there's good evidence for it that, you know, the brain is brilliant, but it's also a little bit dumb because it can't distinguish between Mm. an action and the thought of an action. And when you practice it in your head, it's almost like setting down train tracks in a wild country. You put those train tracks down and then the train goes much more smoothly over them, or you pave a road there, and then a car can drive over it. Well, it's the same. When you practice it in your head, those very same neurons have actually exercised the action so that when you actually perform the action, they do it that much better. So there is that whole mental process. But going back to what you were saying about a peak experience, because you were talking a lot about entering a zone, essentially an altered state, what Abraham Maslow, this late psychologist, would call a peak experience. So here's a real fast track to it. I started experimenting with group intention, as you know, first with very large experiments Mm. using thousands of my readers around the world. And then I scaled that down, and I worked always with those big experiments with a scientist at one of a number of prestigious universities. And we set up experiments to you know make seeds grow faster and purify water and lower violence in war-torn areas and even heal people of things like post-traumatic stress disorder. And we were very successful. We've run about 40, and 36 have shown measurable, positive, mostly significant effects. That's a better track record than any pharmaceutical drug you can (laughs) think of. But that isn't the interesting part of the story. The interesting part really has to do with shrinking down those groups. In 2008, I wanted to experiment with taking smaller groups in a workshop, but I wasn't really sure what to do. So, my husband and I were kicking it around one night, and I said, I don't know, maybe I'll put people in groups of eight or so, and we'll have them send healing intention to a member of the group with a health challenge. And my husband's a great headline writer, he's also a journalist. And so he said, I love it, the power of eight. And that's how the name got started. We didn't know what we were doing, we just put people in groups of eight or so in this first workshop in Chicago. And we had them send healing intention to a member of the group with a health challenge. And we expected it to be a very mild effect, you know, almost like getting your back rubbed or having a facial. But the next day, it was extraordinary. When the people came back, we asked them to report on the recipients, what happened to them. And one after another said things like, I have been depressed all my life, but it's been lifted. Or I have terrible gut problems, but my gut's normal now. Or the most amazing one of that first batch, I have cataracts and they're 80% better. And we're thinking to ourselves, what? And I didn't believe any of it. I thought, oh, this is just a placebo effect. This is just expectation. Until I kept doing it time after time after time. I've run thousands of these groups. And we've seen healings but not just healings among the recipients, but also the senders. Three out of four times, they will feel better too. And all kinds of things change in their lives. But here's the key. Now, I spent 10 years being freaked out about that and didn't want to write a book about it until finally, I finally got persuaded again by my husband to do that. So I published this book called The Power of Eight. And as I was studying it over those years, I looked at why this group effect works. And honestly, we've had thousands of healings. I've had two people get out of their wheelchairs. We've had people cancel their surgery for things like crippling arthritis where they could barely walk. We've had stage four cancer reverse. And again, very spooky, very weird what happened here. So I looked at it from lots of perspectives. Number one, there is a real effect of intention. Number two, the effect of altruism. With a group, most of the time you're sending intention to heal someone else. And that can be proved to be really healing to you. I found over and over again, the people who are the senders invariably do better themselves. And when you look at the science of altruism, it's essentially like a bulletproof vest. People who do things for other people with no expectation of return, live longer, healthier, happier lives. No question about it. So there's that. There's a group effect. They talk about groups as having a collective effervescence. You know, they charge everybody up. But there's also another thing that's the big key piece that you were referring to before, which is the power of oneness. People experience oneness in small group intention, and they enter into a mystical state. And we know this because we've done brainwave studies with neuroscientists at Life University, which is the biggest and most prestigious chiropractic university in the world. They put their neuroscience department at my disposal so we could run brainwave studies on power of eight groups. And we found extraordinary things. Very quickly, like within seconds, within minutes, The people sending intention, because we put a EEG cap on a member of each of the senders, one sender per group, and we found very quickly that the parts of the brain that make us feel separate, and that's the parietal lobes, which sit toward the back of the head for people who are listening to this, they help us navigate through space. They tell us what's me and what's not me. They were turned way down. So were parts of the right frontal lobes that are involved with worry, doubt, negativity. They were also dialed way down. So were other brainwaves. These were people whose brainwave signatures were almost identical to brainwave signatures studied or produced by the University of Pennsylvania when studying Buddhist monks in ecstatic prayer and Sufi masters during chanting. So these were people in a state of ecstatic oneness. But here's the thing too. These were not long-term meditators or Buddhist monks. These were student volunteers, most of whom had never done anything like this in their lives before. So as I say, you don't need to go to sweat lodges for hours. You don't need to, you know, terrible deprivation or hours of priming. You just need a group and a common intention and it, to my mind, that's a fast track to the miraculous.
0: Ah, oh, wow. So talking about that mental rehearsal to begin with and talking about the peak experience, for me, it's really interesting because it, the mental rehearsal stuff was getting big around my time. People understanding, like you said, the brain doesn't really know the difference. So essentially you're practicing, but you can also practice really perfectly. You don't get reminded of that, you know, that kick that misses the goal. Because in your head, you don't, you know, normally you don't you miss too many. You, and it comes with a certain feeling. If you're able to feel it, it has that extra strength. And in that peak moment where it's a lot more chaotic, you're not sat at home preparing. You're actually in the moment. That's actually how I functioned. I, there was no conscious mind level thought of, I'm going to do this and this will happen next. And I think if I do this, this might happen. It was done image-based very quickly the very moment before you quickly had a very clear image of what was going to happen next and a feeling of what it's going to feel like and then the two blend together and you then lose yourself time wise to be like actually did I know that was going to happen did I make it happen is it deja vu and there's a sense of as you said transcending that time and I think that's really really amazing that that's what you went to and I'm wondering listening to that and also hearing about the altruistic side and that Open part of this that makes it so powerful is that from a very nature of being in that peak experience, you don't have that same level of, I'm only going to do this if this works out, and what if this happens, and what if this happens, and if this happens, I'll do it. It's not a conditional experience. You're not actually saying, I'm going to commit if I get this back. And I'm looking at when you're talking about people sending out intentions, and I'm thinking about myself sending out an intention and how if I was to send one out for myself it almost feels so complicated because you're laden with that idea of oh but am I doing it well will it work it'll probably never work on me because nothing works for me you know it always works for everyone else and so you're trying to intend but you're met with all these things but when you intend maybe upon someone who you don't actually know is it a clearer opportunity than when you're trying to intend for a member of your family who you have such a relationship with that kind of clarity of that intention so what's behind when you say these are students doing this for the first time are they able? do they just go into their own version of it is it image based do they have mantras they repeat or do some of them just go purely on i want to imagine this beautiful thing happening to this person because presumably everyone in the group will imagine something different
1: Okay. Great question. I gave them some instruction. And of course, I teach many courses on intention, everything from beginner's classes to my year-long intention master class, and even healing the past using intention out of time. There are various techniques that I put together that are a mix of ancient wisdom and modern science so i saw what worked in all kinds of areas from you know indigenous cultures to science and what were the common threads and distilled that down to a program what how it usually works is everybody fashions a highly specific intention statement for whoever is going to be the recipient and maybe somebody reads it or everybody just holds that thought in their head and When they are sending it out, I always ask them to imagine the outcome. Imagine the time that this person with cancer is going to get the all clear from their doctor or whatever it is. Imagine that person opening their mail and finding that check for the money they needed to clear their debt or whatever their intention is. Imagine that moment of victory of the outcome being achieved. And they do have different visualizations, but they're instructed to more or less focus on that. But it's every so often they come back to the intention statement. But it's really that combination. And what happens very quickly is a real sense of energy between the group. It doesn't have to be in person. It works just as well virtually. I mean, all of my classes are, when they're not in in in-person workshops or retreats, they are on Zoom. And the people that meet as groups, particularly with my year-long masterclass, are on Zoom. So they're meeting many times over the whole year together and they've never actually physically met. So it can work like that too. But what the group experiences very quickly are intense energy oftentimes, intense connection, altered state Just as Maslow described, sometimes a blinding epiphany of meaning, that sense of oneness, that everything, they understand the universe, and much, much more, a physical feeling. As I say, they've described it in my intention experiments, and as well as the Power of Eight Groups, is I felt energy running through my hands, a high vibration. People have even described light beings sitting behind the chairs of the participants all sorts of things like that, but they're clearly in an altered state, clearly in an altered state. It's a mystical experience for them. And as I say, the brainwave studies back it, back it up.
0: Is there a kind of, because this is immediately pointing me towards team spirit. I'm just looking at my world and something which, yeah, my doorway, if you like, into some of the things you're talking about, where I'm experiencing things that I can't really explain because it's almost like the sum of the result is extortionately higher than some of the parts. And it, it actually, they're not actually a link. They're just different dimensions of experience and one so much more boundless. And I think on that team spirit thing, what I guess was always the thing is that that common goal you mentioned, but that absolute altruistic, unconditional relationship with it, where it no longer matters who gets the credit. It no longer matters who gets to do this you know who 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 gets the headlines or or who lifts the trophy or you know when there's no individual potential payback you know and with the team sport that we play when especially when it becomes professional and when there's players that are sitting on the reserves bench and they think they should be playing and there's players that are playing who have the imposter syndrome and feel like they shouldn't be playing and they're going to get found out and they're fearing failure and all these kind of I don't know quite how to describe it, but those kind of almost karmic stances that work against that ability to just, as we've spoken about in the podcast before, just dream and intend freely without feeling that blockage. And, and it feels like you're creating a scenario or, or at least an environment where everyone is gaining and no one more than anyone else. And it's everyone's equal opportunity. And it sounds like a beautiful space that is reached every now and again in team sport where people just give up like you said, the individual competitism, competitive nature, you just give it up because you realise that for some reason the energy of the moment just says, everyone says yes. And there's something hits you. We've played against a team, I remember, whose coach passed away three days before from cancer, I think it was. And we were due to play them. They were much lower in the league than us. And a lot of the talk was you've got to watch out for these guys. Obviously, they're going to be really, really fired up. They've got a lot to play for them. They we, we, I was saying, I was captain, I was saying, listen, guys, this is a, out of pure respect, we go there, we, we go there to obviously to win this and we we go there to really put on shots how this works and let's go and because this will be a huge challenge for us, we got blown out the water. Within 10 minutes, we're like, oh my word, we're facing superhumans here because there was no, no one need, wanted the credit for that win. They were doing it for a deeper reason and the feeling was kind of like, even tackling an individual, you're like, you're, you're made of stone. Just today, on this day, you feel like you're made of concrete. And it's amazing that sense of what happened. I'm just I'm just sort of wondering, is is that part of what's underneath this to remove that individual nature? We spoke about sort of coming back to that oneness. Now how do you deal with that when people's you know when people sort of maybe start to understand, oh, I'm just thinking about human nature here in terms of societal. Oh well if I do some good intending for others I'm going to get loads back <laughs> you know so I'm going to do some of this because I'll get back how how do you work with these kind of how do
1: you create that environment okay so a couple of things I just want to want to say that's yeah, a great question just wanted to tell you about an amazing study of sports people and they found that you know of course we all know about affirmations you know looking in the mirror and saying i am beautiful I am doing well today, all of that sort of stuff. I am going to win this game. They found when they they looked at affirmations between individual affirmations or team affirmations where you said, we are going to win today, we are wonderful, we are this and that, they found that everybody's individual game improved using we-informations rather than I-informations. So I thought that was really quite amazing. But you were talking about, so you were asking me about how do we get past people sort of doing intention to give in order to get. Well, one of the ways to just get around that is, number one, when I'm teaching classes and I have people who are not achieving their intentions, invariably I'll just say to them, you know what? get off of yourself, (laughs) start (laughs) intending for someone else and see what happens. And that invariably shifts things. So I'm thinking of a woman called Andy who was going through a divorce, needed a new job. She had sold her gift store. She had two small children. Life wasn't great at the moment. And she kept having her group, her power Big group intent For her to get a new job and that wasn't happening. So I finally said, Andy, just get on for yourself. Do an intention for someone else. And the someone else I had in mind was a 15-year-old boy who had, in a fit of adolescent angst after breaking up with his girlfriend, his first serious girlfriend, he jumped off a 40-foot structure onto hard ground. And Luke broke every bone in his body. He had brain damage. He had nerve damage. Doctors didn't think he was going to live. So I had my whole class do successive intentions for, for Luke. And while his stepfather, who had written to me about Luke, kept a running commentary of what was happening when we did intentions. Well, Luke got out of the hospital in record time, even though the doctors didn't think he was going to make it. He did, got out of the hospital, record time, is now a healthy 18-year-old. Now, maybe that was us, maybe it was good doctoring. But the more interesting thing is what happened to Andy. As soon as she started focusing on Luke, she gets the next week, she gets a call out of nowhere from somebody offering her, somebody she doesn't even know, offering her her dream job. So that sort of thing happens all the time where I've seen people get off of themselves and then something, their life does shift too. But also the other thing that prevents people from just maintaining a focus on the self is the fact that it's a power group. There are eight people at least, and sometimes a little less, sometimes a little more. It doesn't have to be eight. But they have to focus on other people most of the time. That builds that altruistic muscle. People get, you know, when they meet week after week after week, and that's what I always recommend people do, that willingness to be help someone else, to be a, a vehicle for somebody else's improvement, becomes stronger and stronger and stronger and becomes something that is you know, so important in connecting. I mean, people talk all the time. They cry when they talk about their power bait group. It's, they call it their intention family. You know, many people are closer to this group of what are often start out as strangers than they are to their own families. And I've also seen it with the big intention experiments where we've got thousands of people focusing on lowering violence in St. Louis, Missouri, or something like that, or purifying water, or you know, ending a war, or whatever. I survey people. I have done since 2008, the participants in my intention experiments. And every single time, I have found there is a mirror effect. So that when people do an intention, for instance, to lower violence somewhere, their own lives become more peaceful. What they report back typically about 45% say, you know, a lot of people, 30, 40% will say, you know, I'm getting along better with my spouse or my children or my not very nice boss. But the biggest percentage say I'm more in love with everybody I come into contact with. You know, people are practically hugging strangers. So, there's this mirror effect of their lives become more peaceful. And then they also report individual things like, you know, I'm made up with my children. I haven't spoken to one of them for 10 years. Or, you know, my husband and I are getting along so much better. We're finally communicating. Or my mother called me out of nowhere. She disowned me 10, 20 years ago. You know, those kinds of stories, thousands of them. But also about 40% with maybe 35, 40% of people on every experiment report physical improvements to health conditions. So there's this weird thing of participating in a purely altruistic act that is healing, strengthening, rebounding. So I think that's the clearest way to get people to move beyond themselves, to just keep doing this.
0: We've heard a few times the expression to get out of your own way, which it, obviously that's why I laughed a little bit when you said just you know, get over yourself, sort of thing. You're kind of like, oh wow, there it is again. It's so interesting, and and some of the things that I think are, appear certainly in in my experience with that is that also as much as you're you're wanting, you know, it becomes a very much like a kind of you know I want things to work out for me. Is also that in that line of thinking, you know, I want these things to work out for me. There's also this desire to own. The journey to fully understand and be able to, yes, maybe take credit for, but more importantly to to, to sort of be able to, I don't know, somehow kind of have a, a kind of mind-based relationship with it instead of allowing it to be in the unknown. And I'm wondering, you know, some of that with regard to is it working and how is it working? I need to know the details of how this works instead of being able to just intend and let go. And this was something that was really, really key for me in my days of when I was performing on the field and even in things I do now is is that the intention is so powerful but getting in the way of it is then trying to make it happen according to the idea instead of saying let the power of that intention inspire the activity required instead of try to match the intention through all your physical things that you know of and and I guess the difficult thing I got into there was that the intention for me was something I was always something incredible that I didn't have the answer for, but then I wanted to plan my way there, admitting that I didn't even have the answer how to get there, but I still wanted to plan it according to my limited tools to get there. And, and it always ended up kind of being more of the same. I have an approach now which is much more, I have the feeling and the, and the desire and, and, it's, and it's emotional and it's, and it's connecting. And then the rest is kind of that understanding that it'll come. And it's not me to react to why it's not happening as I wish. It's kind of like, no, this is part of how it's going to come and to stay with it and stay in there. And I'd sort of be interested to see, you know, when you're having those intention experiments and maybe, you know, you report back and say, well, nothing's quite changed yet. Do people kind of, you know, is that their desire to sort of almost be like, what are we doing wrong versus just kind of like, let's just allow more. And I guess the other thing you mentioned about getting out of your own way, I think is a kind of a deep, deep honesty with yourself you mentioned looking in the mirror and those affirmations and I think sometimes you know you look at people and especially going back to that team spirit thing we had is that not just that people have their own individual kind of desires and needs but more that when you look at a teammate someone says oh how do you feel about that teammate you say yeah yeah really good guy really great girl or whatever it is and you say okay what do you really feel go on and it's like I don't like them And you're like, I guess that is another thing that that blocks it for me, you know, when you're kind of in that team spirit, when people are kind of going, yeah, yeah, but you say, well, hold on. It works when you just really, really care about someone. I think those two things really came to mind about, yeah, that getting out of your own way. It's like, and, and maybe, you know, what's in your own way sometimes is quite deep down. You mentioned about family members having a better relationship sometimes with people that you don't know. Whereas with family, you kind of, you have so much love, but there's almost, Yeah, there's almost these, you have such a long relationship with these people. But getting out of your own way, I mean, has there been moments where things aren't happening and then they suddenly just kick in and they do? And, you know, those personal journeys, have they been almost mentally, emotionally liberating for people as well, where some of that because we talk a lot about here in the meditational space of sitting in those emotional fires and just allowing it to come out is that part of the the process as well with some of this
1: well the first thing that you you talked about was does it happen if you're not trying to will it so hard to be i have 13 keys to intention mastery that i teach i like numbers like that and one of those is essentially get your ego out of the way. Trust the process. You may be the instigator of all of this, but you're, you know, I like to say, you're the hose pipe, you're not the water, you know? Mm. And so if you understand that and you put your request out to the universe, your very specific request, you know, whether it is to score a goal or to recover your health or find a new mate or whatever it is, you put your request out to the universe and then trust the process and trust that your little empty cup is going to be filled. And so that's one thing I teach is trusting the process, trusting this, that it's going to work out. And then you asked about, well, what about people you can do intentions for your family, but what about people you're just working with? Well, you know, we find... Some people, like in my master class, I will have usually about 1,100 people sign up for it, 1,200 people. We, we max out on Zoom. So we'll put people into groups, and invariably there will be people in certain groups that just talk about, you know, I can't get along with that person, and they're too bossy, blah, 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 blah. And I once again say teach ways to use intention to get along with anybody. And there are plenty of ways to do that. And so it's about being intentional in every aspect of your life, including the people who are not like you. Something that's really important now when we're more polarized than ever in certain parts of the world, certainly in my native country of America, Democrats won't sit down for dinner to dinner with Republicans and vice versa. So, it's really important to use some of the techniques to get along with anybody. And you can. There are many, many ways to do it. And one thing you also talked about, about the team spirit, a bigger goal. And, you know, scientists, psych- psychologists call it a superordinate goal. You know, a goal that can only be achieved by the collective efforts of everyone involved. And it brings people together, much like, you know, and you'll love this when rugby, much like the South African, you know, games that was immortalized in the movie Invictus. A friend of mine, Don Beck, Dr. Don Beck, was actually the architect of that whole idea of bringing the whites and the blacks together over sport and that the rugby game, the desire to win, really – and he crafted all of the thinking that the rugby team was supposed to undergo, feeling like a a unity and that, you know – and doing this for the sake of their country and all of these lofty thoughts that really help them to win. That kind of superordinate goal, goal that can only be achieved by the collective efforts of everyone involved, is uniting. And that's really what a Power of Eight group does. It really creates that kind of intentional space where you're happy. As you said, it doesn't matter who gets that goal. You're happy that someone has achieved their intention you know, the power of altruism. And as I say, it's not just a feel-good thing. It is a necessary thing. I mean, I've looked at so much science of altruism and also looked at what human beings need. You know, I did a book called The Bond, which was trying to answer Darwin. You know, was Darwin right? Were we meant to be so competitive? And the resounding answer is no. The science shows we so need to belong. We really need to give. And we need to be altruistic. I mean, we people who do things for other people live longer, healthier, happier lives. There's no question about it. Even if it's just bringing out your neighbor's trash, that volunteers have so much less disease than anybody else. It's extraordinary how powerful altruism is. So that's another piece of that importance of coming together as a group, doing a common intention. It is a powerful transformation.
0: The, the, I mean, it brings to mind the idea about often you hear the power of serving others. And and it's it's a phrase sometimes in a certain way. You can feel a little bit like, oh, it's unfair. You know, why am I here to do everything for everyone else? But again, in this space here, it's a connection to something bigger than yourself, which is in a movement for me towards your actual potential. When you inhabit a greater space, there's more of you there to include others within you and to include more space. I think it's it's really it's really nice. What do you think's underneath what holds people back as the most general rule? Because I mean when I, I've been around in rugby teams and we all know how Team Spirit works. And we all know how to make the most of the next moment there's this kind of acceptance of what is so that you can really launch into what you want next. And yet there's there's some really overriding feelings there that hold back and for me it's a big one around phrases coming around imposter syndrome or worthiness or deserving or fear of failure what do you think of fear what is it you encounter most that holds people back from being able to you know before they they get over themselves what is the base level of getting in your own way do you think
1: the past the past most of the time is what holds people back and sabotages them i have a whole Class and retreat that I do with my husband, Brian Hubbard, who wrote a whole book called The Untrue Story of You. It's all about how the past essentially inhabits you like an unwanted guest, and that the past is energy, and that it's, you know, time is energy, and it just sits within you. We see over and over again when we combine our work together that people who are not achieving their goals are invaded by something in the past. And it's extraordinary to me how much limitation people are taught by their authority figures, whether they're parents or teachers, whether it was the teacher who said, you are stupid at math. And that person grows up to think they're innumerate, even though Maybe they couldn't understand math when they were five, but if you give them a little time, and they certainly would, those kinds of things are really powerful limiters. And in our retreats, we find we'll oftentimes read out, Brian will read out the 15 adverse childhood events that have gone on. And it's horrific for us to listen to because we hear everything from you know, a parent that constantly screamed at a child to having sex with them, you know, and there's always people when we read each one, there's always people in the audience raising their hand. So we carry around a giant suitcase of this. And oftentimes, it is that that stops us. The idea in their heads of you're not worthy, you're not deserving imposter syndrome. Why are you even trying to do this? You're hopeless. And it's oftentimes what they were told constantly as children and what they've come to believe. So using an intention to free yourself of that. And one of the things that I do is I use intention backward and forward in time. And as I say, there have been some studies Looking at, going back to that weird thing, that weird thing that you were clearly a forecaster in your own moves on the rugby pitch. You could forecast what was going to happen, you were saying. So one of the things they discovered, which is so interesting, is studies showing these studies are a two-step psychological test. And here's the weird thing of it they discovered, the scientists doing these studies, that the time it took to do the second thing influenced the time it took to do the first thing. So a two-step <laughs> process. So what that really indicates is not that we're going back and changing the past, but that the future is changing the present as it unfolds. So that's mind-boggling, weird quantum stuff. But any good quantum physicist will tell you There is no such thing as sequential time. And we also know from studies, the brain doesn't understand time. The brain, time and future get all mixed up in the brain. So we invent a sequential time, but in reality, life is just one big smeared out now.
0: This is really interesting because in terms of some of the psychological work around inner child stuff and healing inner child and almost having that intention for your younger you has an effect on the present it's immense to have an intention yes for the future me i want my future me to have this but to have that same intention through i guess what they call about you know that experience of going back and helping that, yeah, you know, when you're in a situation at school, maybe, and you hear something a certain way, and it makes you feel a certain way, and you can see how impactful that is. It's amazing, like you said, that I guess without time, you're just healing.
1: Yeah. And, and there is that ability to go back and, and you see, the problem with all of these things is it's all about loss of power. You know, when you're a little kid, and a teacher tells you you're stupid at math, you don't have power. You've lost power. And that is very unbalancing and can be unbalancing for life. And for people who oftentimes, when I listen to people in my classes or talks, and they'll say, I just can't get better. I've tried everything. And I have to look at why do you give up? You haven't tried everything, clearly. There are many, many, many treatments out there. You haven't tried everything. You just haven't found the thing that's going to heal you yet. That's a very different thing. So, yeah, it's it's extraordinary to me what ends up happening. I'll tell you my most mind-boggling story of retro intention, as I like to call it. There was a woman, let's call her Roz, who had had this bad infection. Some really terrible things happening to her in her teen years. She got a very bad infection and she lost pigment in her skin. She got vitiligo, you know, where there's white patches. And so I had her go back and go through this whole technique. And she literally showed us, showed the audience too. Her skin started repigmenting, believe it or not there and then it didn't completely oh. heal but we could see it was starting to repigment. so she said so psychologically what can also happen to people when they are when they take back their power is extraordinarily strengthening
0: definitely feeling that sense of intending back on the past you and, and having that kind of relationship it also frees you up as the now you get your dreaming back so now you free up your intention to become it's almost like a beautiful kind of expanding cycle of opportunity and get like you said getting your power back but not your power to go and dominate you know things but your power to dream to imagine to create to connect and to love and to be compassionate and all those things which it sounds like are at the basis of facilitating this intention relationship.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, what you want really is, as you say, is to get to that actualized self where the best version of you and so many people live with a diminished version of themselves because of the limits that have been placed on them. And they're terrified to dream big or just don't think it will ever happen to them. And that is one of the biggest things that people come and talk to me about and in classes and things is having to learn to believe that they are worthy to get these things in their lives and that it will happen. And then, you know, the proof is that's another beauty of a power of eight group. You're watching other people achieve their goals Mm. and it's infectious.
0: Yeah, hugely. And and I've seen that before, definitely, even When you're working with... I I coach now and you're working with a group of... One person goes from not doing something to doing it. And then all of a sudden, chain reaction, everyone's doing it. It just takes that one to stand up and go, look at me, I'm willing to be a bit vulnerable, put myself... And and I'm going for it. Oh, look, I've done it. And the thing's broken. Yeah, we had that in our games when there's a team you've never really beaten before. You beat them and then for the next five years, you just just never lose. You know, it it stays with you. That's really nice. I, I think that I remember... Like I said, going back to the one of the things that really grabbed me, I think I mentioned it before, is was, was that experiment when you're talking about uh, people looking and saying to a 50 50 coin flip, I want heads, and the result being so powerful that it exceeded any of the standardized or the standards required to pass aspirin, I think it was, or drugs or these kind of types of drugs, you know, to have a certain effect that made them functional and operational and and say whatever you had this now that just by sitting in front of a screen and saying give me heads you were able to correct that and and now obviously to me that was a younger form was like this is my path to getting again what I want in life I'm going to master this skill but actually now I, I sort of have a deeper relationship with it what is all of this understanding behind this capacity to pass healing and intention across and thoughts across and affect things bigger than us what does that look like for you on a daily experience personally, if you don't mind me asking? You know, I know you've spoken about your research and your masterclasses, but how do you relate to it, function with it, use it, and, and, and I guess kind of navigate your way through the world with it?
1: Okay. It's taught me never to give up. Never give up. Never give up until they put you in a box. <laughs> you know, and even then, I mean new studies yeah. of near-death experiences definitely demonstrate that consciousness doesn't die. I think I have learned that there is always possibility, and I've taken that in my life. I had a health challenge about 3 years ago, and I tried everything alternative and that didn't work, so I finally had to go and get some surgery which I hated the whole idea of, I hated it. I didn't, you know, I'm very holistic in my medical thinking. So I picked out the best surgeon and I went to see her and she was so positive. I said, well, what can't I do if I get the surgery? And she said, maybe not go skydiving, I don't know. you know, and it was a structural thing I really did have to fix. And So I did it and I decided I walked into the hospital having hating to do this. Didn't want to do this. I was going to have to be in the hospital for a week. And I just decided I'm going to love this whole experience. I'm going to smile at the anesthetists. I'm going to smile at the nurses. I'm going to enjoy the food. And it was a really nice hospital anyway. So the food was pretty darn good. But I just decided to make the whole experience a a happy affair And here are two things that happened. One, I had no pain, no pain. They started trying to give me painkillers. And after a week of essentially paracetamol, that's all I took. I just said, I don't need this anymore. And it should have been one of a really painful operation. It wasn't at all and i recovered more than complete capacity i'm now doing hit classes with 30 year olds and <laughs> you know having the teacher give me a good elbow and saying yeah great you know yeah. so i've used that in my life and i think for me no is always a challenge now maybe that you know a challenge just to be overcome now maybe that also has to do with being a reporter at heart you know i had a wonderful teacher a, a mentor in journalism, who once said to me, you know, they haven't said no till they kick you down the stairs (laughs) about getting an (laughs) interview. And I maybe carried that with me too. And so those two things really, I think, inform a lot of what I do. I just don't ever think this is impossible. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure there's a way to do something.
0: I mean, that speaks to Like I said before, it speaks to a real openness. But also, if you don't mind me saying, a really beautiful balance between openness but with a tenacity of intention. To say, you know, this is what I want and there's an openness around it. And it's what works better than anything, I think, in the sports that I am familiar with and coaches that you can't just be open because you don't know where you're going. You get pushed around but if you're so tenacious but without the openness, you become quite predictable and actually when things don't work, you end up harming yourself because you, you just keep going. But to have that ability to say, I'm open, I'm learning, but when I'm here and I make a decision, I'm all in and you can't stop me. And then I'm opening and I'm all in and I'm opening and all And this is the journey of those. that When I played against people like this, you just can't stop them because you can't get at them when they're in action – they know exactly what they want, but when they're not, they're taking it all in. Before They're getting so informed before they go, let's go again. And I think yeah, for me, that was kind of, that's an amazing space to be in without losing the leaning on one way or the other, but having that perfect balance. That's really, really, really cool. I think, has this affected, as a final kind of takeaway, is this kind of, what's this done for your view of life as a whole? You know, talking about human potential. Often that gets very much connected or or almost blends into the concept of yeah who am I is what is life as that oneness question. What's it done for your view of life now compared to maybe where you were in a previous state and where you are now? What's happening in that evolution?
1: Well, number one, I'm pretty convinced consciousness doesn't die. The evidence that I've seen in and reported on about Light that emanates from the body, one scientist discovered that, that we are communicating with all living things through a tiny current of light, that that light doesn't die right away after we do. The extraordinary evidence for near-death experiences now, big consortium of scientists have all said, hey, near-death experiences aren't just the ravings of a dying brain, that this really does happen, it really does look like there is something to this consciousness after death. I think it's brought me that. It's brought me a real sense that that kind of reductive scientific story, the Newtonian scientific story of separate things and competitive individualism, the Darwinian view, is out of date. It's an old chapter that needs to be rewritten. And when we do rewrite this, when we understand we're all connected, when we understand we have almost limitless capacities that we don't tap into, that we need to tap into, when we start taking all of this on board, we have to live in a very different way. So what it's really done for me is to try to champion changing the way we live. It's why I wrote my book, The Bond, to say, okay, if this new science is true, then we have to live in a very different way. We have to stop teaching our children to I win, you lose, you know, except on the sport field. That's about the only area where I'm happy about competition. But I think we have to live in a very different way. So it certainly changed my life. As I say, I got hijacked into this subject and it's now, you know, it's my life now and I'm very excited about it and always studying and learning about it. But it's also convinced me that we all start realizing and changing the way we do live because that old thinking is making us eat our own children, so to speak. We are blowing up our climate, we're blowing up the earth. We're creating unsustainable things through so many areas of our life, and we are polarized as never before, So, and we're seeing that there's such a vast gulf between the haves and the have-nots that all of this kind of competitive individualism is just completely unsustainable. So we're at the end of days with that, and we have to really start inventing something new and this is where I think the new scientific story is going to light our way.
0: Just mentioning that reductive side it's really interesting to use that word it's almost like a logic that says right we've understood the parts and now we can work out life from that position and this is where we are we are where we are according to that and I know individually I got to where I was because of that thing and I, and I succeeded at it that was my problem I got very good at using those reductive parts and fighting and standing up and it's so interesting that when you start with something and you like you said you logically come to a conclusion you're almost coming to a conclusion that has to be less than what you started with or that you have to know more or less where you're going and I, and I feel like so much of this albeit you saying being hijacked and everything for me it's a different relationship with the unknown and just that side of saying like you said you what you, you wanted this and now you're here and it's kind of like Okay, reductively, I could say, well, I should be elsewhere. I'm in the wrong place. Or you could say, "Okay, I wonder where this is going next, you know, and and get along for the ride. But that's a beautiful way of putting it. And I I sort of wonder where on earth you're going to go next. (laughs) Do you have any intentions? Do you have anything set for anything? Or are you more or less just following the the beautiful journey?
1: I have another book I'm starting to research now and wanting to do something that is that's been percolating for a while, so I've got that, and of course, the other work we do with what doctors don't tell you, and I do a lot of work with intention groups and courses and and retreats, etc. So I've got lots of things going on, and I'm a new grandmother for the first time. Oh, wow! So our, Congratulations! My, our eldest daughter had a baby little girls so she's still six weeks old so that's another new wonderful blessing in my life so yeah still uh still charging ahead there's a lot of <laughs> work to be done yeah
0: <laughs> it sounds like you have more than enough on your plate to be getting on with but I, I do feel I want to say yeah thank you from my behalf because yeah, you triggered something or you're certainly part of where I was I feel I was supposed to go But also the work you're doing, I think, in terms of that change you're talking about, in terms of that liberation, that movement towards worth and deserving and becoming one, I think there's nothing more important right now. I think it's phenomenal. And one thing that sprung up to me in this, just coming out of this, naturally, you're talking about the power of eight. I think to myself, how wonderful it would be if within business, you know, instead of having those business meetings where you all get together and thrash out deals, if you say, let's get together and intend
1: you yeah. betcha i think it's a really important thing to do and i see so many thousands of power of Eight springing up here there and everywhere and as you say it would be wonderful if we could see just a group of people doing that and maybe even yeah. creating power of Eight groups with their competitors and seeing oh, you know there's room yes. for everybody
0: absolutely yeah finding cause an altruistic cause and saying hey guys this is our our spot for today and then Amazing. Inspiring. It's been absolutely fabulous talking to you, Limit Taggart. Thank you again for all that you do, all that you are and all you're you're going to do as well. And uh, yeah, uh, just a a real pleasure. And thank you for your time.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Johnny. It's really been exciting and interesting chatting with you and seeing Uh, the brilliant connections between sport, you know, with that whole conversation and also your journey. So thanks for inviting me. Ah,
0: my pleasure. And thank you again. It's wonderful. We're we're going to make such a great thing of this and it's going to change lives. So thank you. So that's it for another episode of I Am. It's brilliant to be sharing this unfolding experience with you all. If you'd like to get in touch with either me or the guest, then all the information you need is in the show notes. I welcome all and any feedback. I really want all of you to have a hand in guiding the feel of this show and the path of the conversation as well, so just keep them coming in. But Until next time, I'm Johnny Wilkinson, and this has been I Am. This show is brought to you by Mags Creative. The executive producer is Megan Hill-Smith. Assistant producer is Alex Macy. Before I go, I want to say a final thank you to the sponsors of today's podcast, Vitality. For me, the secret to a happy and healthy life is about living consciously. And when we can align those little things we do and decisions we make every day with the life we really want to live, it really makes a difference. Which is when the team over at Vitality comes in. Their comprehensive cover enables us all to live a happier, healthier life, whether it's through offering discounts on gym memberships at Virgin Active, Nuffield Health or Pure Gym, or on activity trackers from Garmin, Polar and Samsung. For me, I've been an ambassador with Vitality for several years now, and undoubtedly the feeling of true support when someone cares about you and your health and your quality of life, it makes a massive difference. So you can take the small steps to make the meaningful changes. Head to
1: vitality.co.uk for more information. Terms and conditions apply.